0: This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. And CALCULATE for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com apps. Again, that is qxmd.com apps. Welcome! You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc. Dr. Sanjeev Lakia.
1: Welcome everyone to Back Talk Doc, another episode here where we are passionate about educating you on everything related to back pain. For those joining the show for the first time, my name is Sanjeev Lakia and I'm a board certified physiatrist, so specialist in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I work at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates in Rock Hill, uh, South Carolina and the office in that area. And I have just been really on a mission over the last year, year and a half to help educate the community regarding all the options to take care of your back, largely from this is who I treat. And actually, I've had my own issues in the past. So it's very personal to me. And this is a labor of love to help uh, you overcome whatever you're challenged with. And you know, throughout this journey, I've had the privilege and pleasure of interviewing so many good guests on the show and uh, recently got contacted by uh, Garrett Salpeter, who is the author of the book, The New Fit Method. He expressed an interest of coming on the show and sharing the good work that he's doing down in Austin, Texas. So Garrett, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Dr. Lockia. It's a pleasure to be here and I love what you're doing and excited to be a part of it. Fantastic.
1: Now, uh, did I say your last name right? I should have asked that before we came on. You got it. You nailed it. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right, friends. So let me introduce Garrett. Garrett has uh, put out the book, The New Fit Method, and he lives and works in Austin, Texas. Garrett's combined training in neuroscience and engineering to start New Fit. And it's a company at the nexus of neurology and fitness dedicated to treating athletes and patients in the realization of fitness goals, effective rehab, and improve overall health. He's the host of his own podcast, The New Fit Undercurrent, And he has had many great guests that I've been able to listen to your show. It's been great. And he and his team work with thousands of patients, helping them recover from sports injuries, neurologic injuries, and chronic pain. He's treated professional athletes, sports teams, uh, universities, and um, just normal average people like myself. So uh, he is married and has two daughters, Liz and Austin. Anything I left out there that you want the listeners to know about you?
2: I think I think you covered the, the main biographical points. I appreciate that. I think really, really the work, you know, thankfully is has grown. It's, you know, it's much bigger than myself or any one person. So I'm excited to dive into some of these concepts because I think they're really valuable and hopefully will be helpful to your listeners.
1: Now, you're a uh, PT, physical therapist by background my
2: education is actually engineering and neuroscience did uh, graduate school in both and i work with several physical therapists we have them on our team we've trained and certified many hundreds of them but i myself am not a physical therapist
1: okay and it's interesting cuz i have an engineering background as well before i got into medicine and you know i think one of the things that you look at is the body not just in Small compartments, but really as a total functioning ecosystem. So let's talk a little bit about the new fit method, which is the method that you've developed. For those who aren't aware of it, give us kind of like the thirty thousand foot overview of of
2: what this is. So we often work with patients who are, are similar to the ones you work with, who are looking to recover from chronic pain or other injuries, whether it's back pain or whether it's sports injuries and in shoulders, knees, ankles, or whether it's chronic pain that people have had for years. Uh, We also help them restore function that they've lost because of neurological injuries or diseases like spinal cord injuries, strokes, MS, and help people build a sustainable fitness practice. And the reason I'm speaking so broadly across that whole continuum is because there is this very important common thread throughout that entire continuum, from early stage rehabilitation all the way through general fitness and elite athletic performance and that common thread is the nervous system it controls so many things about us how we heal and recover from injuries how our muscles work and move whether we experience pain or not and then of course our hormones and and our overall health and well-being blood pressure digestion waste elimination reproductive function our thoughts and emotional status there's so many things the nervous system is really the ultimate control center control system so Working at that level allows us to have these far-reaching effects. And different practices are using it in different ways, many, many of whom, and you know, there's definitely a sweet spot in that physical medicine and rehabilitation world in helping people with pain and recover from injury. And there, I think the the special sauce really is in helping patients recover faster from injury and pain or more completely because of this emphasis of the nervous system. Because so many times if someone's injured you know, we can talk about separating acute injury and chronic pain. So if someone has an acute injury, if someone comes in to see you because they quote unquote threw out their back, right, which is, you know, the phrase, of course, no one really has thrown out their back or they'd be paralyzed. But if they come in in that really acute spasm-like state, a lot of times there's some minor insult or something like that, but they're really the reason that they're in such pain and they're so debilitated is because of the neurological overreaction, the the spasms, the self-imposed guarding protection, spasms, pain, that pattern of protection against that original insult. If someone bends over and picks up a pen and irritates a little bit the spinal cord or nerve root or something like that, you're familiar even more than I am with the, the underlying mechanisms. But the basic premise is that we're shifting instead of focusing just on the structures on the discs or the ligaments or whatever, whatever the structures are focusing on the neurological response to injury. So that there's two parts to that. One is actually scanning around, mapping the body to identify where the brain and nervous system are imposing those protective patterns, where those spasms are being activated and where the nervous system where where it's guarding and protecting in a way that's keeping that person locked in that injured very painful state and then once we identify those stimulating those areas to to help reset and recalibrate and reeducate that pattern and sometimes patients will come in in 8 or 9 out of 10 pain and leave you know walking pain of 0 or 1 or 2 i mean sometimes it's dramatic sometimes it's not always as dramatic but by managing that neurological response it leads to some pretty profound breakthroughs, oftentimes in the treatment of various injuries.
1: All right. So let's break this down with kind of a case. I'm kind of thinking my language and, and the language of a lot of people who listen to this podcast. So for example, at our clinic, yes, you are correct. We get a ton of, I bent over and my back went out or worse, I bent over and then my leg went numb And it does turn out that they bulged or herniated a disc. So with your approach, okay, backing up even further now, if you look at the traditional paradigm, which is largely what we follow, and I do myself with a lot of my patients, at least initially, is you're looking for a structural explanation, right? So we do x-rays, MRI studies, EMGs, and try and localize the pain generator and then treat it, whether it's with epidural steroid injection, traditional physical therapy, acupuncture, or what have you what you're saying though is understanding really what is the neurologic response to that localized injury correct
2: yes just because we're applying a different framework it doesn't mean of course that that we throw out physiology right if there is still a structural issue that needs to be attended to we you know we need to attend to it but by shifting the emphasis and focusing on once we've screened to make sure make sure that you know someone hasn't lost bowel and bladder function or doesn't have a significant spinal cord impingement or something you know making sure that once we've screened for some of those more serious structural issues then we know okay we can address this neurological response and it'll be appropriate to do so
1: so you mentioned in your book which I enjoyed by the way so thank you for sending me that that you'll do some you'll do a type of muscular screen for your patients that come in initially. So let's use the example of low back pain. What are some common uh, dysfunctional muscular patterns that you see that people have in terms of guarding and, and that are supposed to be protective, but maybe when they come to you, they're at a point where they're now dysfunctional and no longer serving them?
2: So there's a couple things that we'd find. We have two main approaches that we use to assess people before we even get into our specific assessments we would do similar things that that you or any anyone would see when you first have contact with a patient you know see if they can they flex can they extend what movements cause pain what's their range of motion like can they do those basic movements and then when we begin our actual assessment two main things we would do one is manual muscle testing which a lot of physical therapists do on a, they'll typically use a zero to five scale. So if you were laying down, if a patient is listening to this, was laying down on a table, you'd hold your leg up. You're lying down on your back face up and you, you hold your leg up and someone your therapist or doctor would push down on your leg, down by, grab down by your foot, push down. You do have to hold your leg up. So you'd use your quad muscle on the top of the thigh, your hip flexor muscles to hold your leg up. And you know, if they, if they push down, you should be able to exert a reasonable amount of force. And then if you rotate your leg, you're going to test different muscles, more of like the psoas, other muscles. And if you, so you can test different muscles, you can roll over, you can test your glutes and a lot of these different muscles. so we often will see that when people have these issues that various muscles will be, will be shut down or inhibited. And we use a a handheld dynamometer because, one of the interesting things that this traditional zero to five muscle testing scale was based on initially when there was a polio epidemic and people were having paralysis or partial paralysis. And so most of the people that we're working with like zero through four are you can't turn the muscle on at all. You can turn, you can engage the muscle, but can't lift. You can lift the leg and hold it up. You can hold it up, but can't resist. So most of the people that we're working with are like between a four and a five and going from a four to a five doesn't give a ton of insight there. So we actually we will use a little force meter in our handheld force meter to push down and we'll say, okay, you can exert 30 pounds of force on one side and 50 pounds on the other side. Oh my gosh, that's, you know, we're to go from 30 to 50. We need to, we need to go like to get two thirds stronger. That seems like it's going to take a heck of a long time, and then we'll go through our process. We'll find where the body is, is inhibiting and shutting down muscles, go through that resetting, recalibrating, re-educating treatment process. And sometimes in that same session, that leg that was 30 pounds will go up to 50 pounds. And you'll think, oh my gosh, how did we get 66% stronger in 30 minutes of treatment? Obviously, we didn't just build that much new muscle or anything like that. What we did was help that person tap into the muscle that they already had. They were just preventing themselves from displaying it, from activating that muscle. So it's sort of like if there's a governor in your car, if you have a a really fast car that could go 180 miles an hour, but you have a governor that limits it to 100, there's that 80 miles an hour of untapped potential. We're trying to help people get into that and to tap into that potential to, to just be able to use what capability is available to them already. And it has to do with breaking through those self-imposed limitations that happen in response to injury and trauma its that neurological response to injury. So that one assessment is just looking at the ability to engage muscles, to turn muscles on, looking at basic strength in very simple positions like holding the leg up there. And then the other, other assessment that we do is that mapping around scanning around with one of our electrodes on the body, sending this direct current signal to identify where there's, Hypersensitivity or discomfort, or those hyperactive areas, which are associated with the protective responses, where that neurological protection, where that governor is being imposed, there those areas will be more sensitive. And by working through, we can we can help recalibrate that to downregulate or reduce that sensitivity, which is the same as saying lifting off that governor that's being imposed neurologically.
1: Right. So the muscles that you scan. Those are, those are guarding, those are inhibiting the normal range of motion, normal strength of the kind of injured, affected area. So it sounds like what you're doing is you're using a technology. Now, I'll say like in traditional osteopathic medicine, because I'm a DO, we would look, look at muscles in a similar manner and, and try and quote, turn them off, so to speak, with techniques like strain, counter strain, Mm-hmm. functional positional release techniques or even HVLA techniques. So that's why like if someone comes in with, you know, an ankle issue, we're checking their hip, their knee, and their back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you're applying technology to it and it's a good lead into your device uh, that you've named the newbie. And I'll just kind of read a little passage from your book on page 31. First you talk about the differences between direct current and alternating current. And then you say that the newbie can have a different effect, both because its waveform is designed to match the rate at which electrical charges transfer across nerves and because it uses direct current, which is what the nervous system uses. So elaborate on that a little bit for the listener, because I know people are listening right now, and you know there are many quote-unquote nerve or muscle stimulators on the market, each with its proprietary waveform that is supposed to give you a different therapeutic outcome. So explain to us a little bit about what you've invented and you know how you use it and kind of what the results are that you're seeing with it.
2: The biggest difference is the use of direct current as opposed to alternating current. And in order to understand why that's meaningful, I think we have to start with a little bit of historical context. So there, direct current was being evaluated was being used in the 60s and 70s, particularly in the Soviet sports science research program. And there were numerous benefits, but there was one major problem, which is that when you use direct current, you'd get charge accumulation, you know, positive charges would build up around the negative electrode and vice versa. And because of this charge accumulation, you would end up getting stinging and burning of the skin. And the Soviets literally would leave burn marks on the skin of their athletes. And they could do that for Mother Russia back then when they everything was in service of showing the world how great their system was. But you know, we obviously couldn't do that here. We're not going to burn people, right? So direct current totally fell out of favor and in its place came alternating current. And the devices that are in use everywhere are alternating current for that reason, because you're able to get alternating current into the body without any of that skin discomfort, because you don't get any of that charge accumulation. It just goes right in and stimulates muscles. And there there are some benefits for sure. The issue and the reason why we are so excited about bringing direct current back is because when you have an alternating current signal, as that signal goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, when you turn it up to a high enough level to really make a difference in retraining the the neuromuscular system, when you turn it up to those levels, you end up creating this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth signal and you cause muscles to co-contract and fight against each other. That means muscles on both sides of the joint. So, so if we're going back to our car metaphor here, it would be like you're driving your car, hitting your throttle and brake pedal at the same time. And obviously that's very inefficient and it can lead to extra wear and tear and, you know, possibly even injury over time where what we're trying to make the body more pliable and supple so it can absorb force and move through greater ranges of motion. Whereas driving with the brakes on makes everything more stiff and tight and less able to, to bend, right? You know, we want to bend, but not break. That's more likely to break when you're in that stiff fighting against yourself type of status there or type of state there. And With direct current, what we're able to do is bypass a lot of that muscular contraction in order to speak more directly, more powerfully, more precisely to the nervous system. And that allows us to do two main things. One is this assessment process, scan around on the body. And by sending that, instead of just causing muscles to contract everywhere we go, we're sending that sensory signal, that input that tells the brain and nervous system, that area is being being used, is being loaded as if someone was actually lifting weights or stretching or using that area of the body tells tells the brain and nervous system that that's happening and it's like it's presenting that information to the brain and then the brain will say you know if things are if things are working well it'll say oh that's there's nothing threatening about that no big deal and it'll just feel pleasant it'll feel like a nice buzzing no problem at all but if we stimulate an area where the brain is trying to limit output or where there's where there's a spasm being imposed because of this response to the quote unquote throwing out one's back type of type of injury here if if we scan over any of those areas the brain sees that and says whoa 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 that's new that's different that's threatening and in response to perceived threat the brain triggers an output of pain and so it feels kind of like a trigger point it's more sensitive And can be a little bit uncomfortable, but these spots tend to stand out very precisely. And so it allows us to identify exactly where these neurological issues are. And then by sending that direct current signal, instead of just again contracting the muscles in that area like traditional electrical stimulation, we're actually able to create more neurological input to change those nervous system patterns to recalibrate that response to injury and trauma to help reactivate muscle function to restore range of motion and mobility, reduce spasms, and lead to an overall acceleration and enhancement of recovery.
1: When you do a scan or treatment, are you literally afterwards able to palpate, for example, if if someone has a palpable tender point in their glute medius, does that resolve with the treatments that you offer?
2: It often will improve within that session. Sometimes it'll, you know, with one session, you'll do it and it'll be gone for weeks or months. Sometimes it'll improve in that session and it might regress a little bit over the next few days. And that's, of course, why you'd want to do multiple treatments. But you often will see improvements in those types of spots. Yes.
1: A question that occurs to me is, first of all, I really like the idea. It resonates with me that we don't just focus on the injured area and that you look at the neurologic system the central nervous system the autonomic nervous system's impact on the injury and the role it's playing with perpetuating the injury so that you know that to me makes a lot of sense in your research and experience where do you find to be the sweet spot because i would suspect that initially those reactions those muscle guarding reactions or episodes are serving a purpose and you don't want to necessarily turn that switch off too soon but at the same time, if you let it go on too long, it in itself becomes its own problem and perpetuates the injury. So what have you recommended to your clients about proper timing of going with some an approach like this?
2: That's a fabulous question. Of course, safety first, right? We first we want to do no harm to patients. And then of course, next is wanting to help them. So keep safety is definitely the number one priority. Before I get into that, I'll just close the loop on the. Previous question about direct current. So these benefits of direct current, there also is a, a benefit on tissue healing. When you have that direct current electric field, it can accelerate some of the body's process of tissue healing. And what we were able to do to to get direct current in the body without burning the skin is to add this proprietary waveform feature that reduces the charge buildup that you normally get with direct current. So we can get those benefits while still having the comfort and the elimination of the risk of burning of alternating current. So it's kind of the, the best of both worlds there, the physiological benefits of direct current with the comfort of alternating. So, sorry, I just wanted to close the loop there now. No,
1: thank cool. you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. I, I have many physical therapists who are going to listen to this and probably ask me that question. So I appreciate it.
2: Yes. Yes. I Well, sorry, I didn't finish the answer the first time. <laughs> but the, uh, so, so to your point about safety here, it's a very good question. The There's a few elements of this that I think we need to consider. One is, yes, these protective mechanisms are necessary and we want to make sure that we don't eliminate them completely because then we're going to be vulnerable. The problem is that they're oftentimes set too conservatively. And one metaphor I like to use with patients to describe this is to say, imagine if you're if you're in your your office at home and and if you have children, this might make uh, sense to you here so if if you have a child who who has a a rubber snake and they come, they throw it into your office and if you if you jump up and react and use and you scream and yell and you run out of the room, that is you know could be a bit of an overreaction if a if a venomous snake, if a real cobra or python is is actually slithering into your office and looks like it's about to attack you that type of reaction has real protective value being able to have that adrenaline rush to run away or or figure out how to how to hit the snake find an implement and and fight it or protect yourself somehow that reaction has real protective value but if you use that same reaction to react to a rubber snake as you do to a to a real truly life threatening snake then you're you're overreacting and it's it's ultimately wasteful or potentially counterproductive at least and that a lot of times that's what the body does a lot of times it overreacts and a lot of that has to do with just bad habits you know there's we use it or lose it is a very profound principle if we don't use all these ranges of motion that are available to us over time, the body starts to narrow what it allows, where it, where it allows us to go. And it thinks that going outside of that range beca- is unsafe. And so not only do the tissues shorten, but our brain narrows the, the range of what it perceives as safe. And if we don't explore those range of motion, that window of opportunity just gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. So a lot of times, it's, these are set too conservatively. And the good news is that when we go through our treatment process, we're able to tell to a very significant degree able to tell how much of this neurological reaction is appropriate versus how much of it is overreacting to a rubber snake as if it's a real snake and what i mean by that is if we go through our our assessment and treatment and there truly is a significant structural issue we'll see little to no change at all whereas at the other extreme if it's if it's like the example of someone who has these really bad back spasms but doesn't actually have a significant spinal impingement or you know severe herniation or stenosis or you know a, se- a severe structural issue, if we're working with a person like that, they may walk in at a nine out of ten pain and leave at a zero and it might that reaction might all go away within one treatment. And you know, of course, those are the extremes. Many people are somewhere in between where they notice some improvement, some reduction in symptoms. But they still have some stiffness, some limited range of motion, some pain. And so those protective patterns haven't been eliminated completely. They've just been recalibrated to an appropriate level for where they need to heal, for where they need to be right now in order to support healing. And I've seen that we now, having treated ourselves in Austin, eight to 10,000 patients and having a couple thousand certified doctors and therapists who have treated many thousands of their own, you know, we've seen that the body still is able to keep these protective mechanisms at the level it needs. And based on how much improvement we see, it allows us to get that insight of how much of this issue really is structural and just needs more time for those tissues to heal, how much of it is functional and is going to allow us to make these, these quick breakthroughs. And a lot of times there's more. Functional component to it than we might first think. I think we tend to be in our current model more structurally biased, and that seems like the big source of the breakthrough here is that by prioritizing this functional approach, we're able to help more people make more progress faster. And yet, it's not always you know 100 right away because. Those protective mechanisms are still in place and they do stick around. They, you know, We don't just override them completely when, when we follow the process and we do things like we spell out in our certification and training programs.
1: Yeah, and in our group, which we have one of the largest uh, neurosurgery groups in the country, and we do have our own in-house uh, physical therapy, our, our model is is both. Like we definitely look at treating the injury at hand, but then also the comprehensive rehabilitative approach where you kind of work from both directions and we get the best outcomes when we combine it. And I'm going to be interested to talk with some of my team about your method and and kind of hear their feedback. Two things I want to touch on before I let you go, and thank you again for taking time to be on the show today. You put in your book, and my jaw dropped when I saw this, a screenshot of your aura ring (laughs) showing three hours of deep sleep. And, you know, my first thought was, This is Photoshop. There's no way. (laughs) For those who don't know, like an Aura Ring, it's it's a fitness, it's a sleep tracker. You wear it at night. It can give you measurables regarding the quality of your sleep, duration, REM sleep, deep sleep, et cetera. So it's very useful for just tracking how well you're sleeping. For me, a good night is 90-90. If I get about 90 minutes of deep, 90 minutes of REM and seven to eight hours total, that's good. I feel good. And I've probably experimented, my wife will laugh at the different things I've tried to improve my duration of deep sleep to no avail, whether it's supplementation, um, blue light blockers, et cetera. So I need to know what happened there. And is it the newbie device? Is it the holy grail we're talking about? Or was that just a lucky night and you got to put it in the book?
2: (laughs) So first of all, it it was a totally legitimate screenshot from my Aura Ring app. And I will say, of course, I did cherry pick probably my best night ever. I have had other nights. I've had a couple nights a month. I'll have three hours or so of deep sleep. And my my goal that I that I write about in the book is to have at least half the night in those two most powerful, most restorative stages of sleep: deep sleep and REM sleep. And I think that makes our our time in bed more efficient. And allows us to get more true restoration done in the same number of hours. It makes sure. So it's both quality and quantity, right. Of sleep. And, yes. and I, I really want to emphasize quality and the things that have moved the needle for me are, you know, I've done that. I'm just the same things you mentioned, blue light blocking uh, after dark, wearing the glasses, you know, a lot of things I, I talk about in the book, you know, I'm a big believer in meal timing and having at least three or four hours before bed of, between my last meal and when I go to sleep, all that stuff helps. But what what really has moved the needle for me in that regard is using the newbie generally for my workouts because of the neurological effect. It's interesting, a lot of times we work out, but the neurological input, so there's, there's cardiovascular components, there's muscular, there's all these different components to working out. Neurologically, a lot of times we may do something but it's not actually stimulating enough. It's not creating enough input to the brain for the brain to trip the alarm, to get the message that, hey, something really significant happened here. And now, yes, it is time to shift into full-on recovery mode to recover from that, to restore, to rebuild, to repair, so we can come back stronger next time. So training in the, in this neurological way using you know, some of the techniques, both with the newbie and other exercises that I described in the book has helped. And then... What's really made the dramatic shift in those statistics in the heart rate variability during sleep and and deep and REM sleep is this, this, uh, what we call our master reset protocol, doing this before bed. So we'll do it with patients after their workouts or after their their physical therapy sessions where we'll lie down. It's basically our version of vagus nerve stimulation. We'll go have pads back of the neck on the, the base of the skull, brainstem area where the vagus nerve leaves. The, the brain. And then we'll have the other pads down on the balls of the feet. So we get these very neurologically rich areas locally at the feet and at the base of the skull. And then we get literally everything in between the currents going through the whole spinal cord, really going through the whole body. So it has this both local and global effect. And we see before and after, immediately before and after, significant changes in heart rate variability. So we know we're having a really meaningful effect on the vagus nerve, creating a parasympathetic. Shift globally. And I, you know, fortunate enough to have one of these devices at home. So I do it right before bed. And some of my experiments on myself, where I've done it right before bed every night for a month, and some of my sleep numbers got just crazy in terms of deep sleep, REM sleep. And my HRV, my heart rate variability would be, you know, an average of 60 or 70 milliseconds overnight. And I'd have nights when I'm doing these experiments where it would get up to 150, 160, 170. And I mean, just, Numbers that I didn't even dream were possible until I saw them and tried this. So that's been one of the exciting things. And we've done a study with another company called BioStrap, which the Aura Ring is a ring. BioStrap is is a similar, very well-validated tool that uses a wrist strap. And we've done some studies to look at the effects. And we've seen that patients generally going through these treatments also are seeing improvements in heart rate variability, deep sleep better blood flow is measured by arterial compliance or arterial elasticity and uh, reduction in resting heart rate without doing any cardiovascular training. So we're seeing some cool autonomic effects there. Uh, maybe that was a little bit longer answer. Sorry, but I, I love No, that's thing. good. Uh, I get excited about this one.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a real differentiator. I mean, it's, I, I think that is very fascinating. I hope you continue to put out some research on, on the effects of that. In fact, Maybe we'd love to talk, see if we can get our hands on a unit, some training and try it on some of our our patients in our therapy center here and, and report back to you. But um, I really like one of the things I like about the book is that it's not just, you know, some of the books that I see that it's kind of like selling something, but I think you talk about a really comprehensive approach. In addition to the treatment protocol, you talk about the importance of sleep, the importance of good nutrition and hydration, and, and maybe some fasting and things like that. And I've I'm kind of the uh, integrative health doc in our group, and I'm actually currently finishing up a integrative health fellowship at the University of Arizona, so it's it uh, resonates with me tremendously, and I can't imagine that um, this isn't also helping the people you see recover much faster. Thanks for sharing that, and before I let you go, I always like to have the people I interview share a nugget or two about maybe their morning routine or a great Influential book they read or a podcast, just something that fills their cup. That people listening to this episode today might want to look into and and get some value from.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I love that you're doing that program at Arizona, and just you know want to acknowledge you for bringing that to your patients. I mean, I think that differentiates you as a physiatrist and will really help you give better care and bring bring a really valuable perspective to your patients. You. So that's yeah. that's awesome. In terms of my own routine or personal nuggets, one of the things that also helps my sleep is actually on the front end of the day. I know I talked about things before bed, but on the front end of the day, one of my my favorite morning ritual is to get up and drink a big glass of water uh, and stand next to my red light panels. I got a big red light panel, if you could could see behind me on the wall in my home office. And I, I turn it on in the morning. So it's, you know, usually between 5 and 6 a.m. And that does a couple of things. The red and infrared light does a lot in terms of increasing blood flow, reducing inflammation, helping mitochondrial function, energy energy generation. But it also tells my brain, hey, it's morning, it's time to wake up. And it helps anchor my circadian rhythm. So I like to stand there and I like to use that time to do some strategic reading or do things that I, I don't normally get to do in the middle of the day when you know when things are happening, when there's meetings and things like that. So that's been a real big one for me is doing that red light panel in the morning where my brain sees the red light and says, "Oh, it's sunrise. Oh, there's more red and infrared light. It's morning time," and it really kind of anchors that circadian rhythm. I love that. And then, books wise, in terms of this health space, there's several people that I like. You know, I like Dave Asprey. I like Ben Greenfield. I'd probably recommend two books by Dave Asprey. I like uh, Headstrong and Superhuman. I like those both of those books a lot and I like, I like his, like his books. Yes. Thanks for
1: sharing that. Again, those guys are really good and they're promoting a lot of health uh, awareness across the world. And I appreciate that you take the time to take care of yourself. I'm a big proponent of clinicians having their own uh, kind of self nurturing routine so we can show up as our best self. So I want to thank you for uh, being on the show
2: today. It was uh, really enjoyable uh, learning about the good work you're doing Garrett. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here and and uh, you got you're doing great work yourself. So it's really really cool to connect. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lakia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.